Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, a couple of weeks ago I gave a talk that I, uh, I called The Race Between Ignorance and Consciousness. Is it good or bad news? Mm, and uh, it's up on the website, I think. Uh, but I, I, and I wanted to follow up with that theme because um, it's been on my mind lately and I've had a, a couple of conversations with some friends. Um, it's, there's so much so much in this world right now that is inspiring and there's so much in this world that is discouraging. Um, Can you relate? And it's just very intense times. As they say, the Chinese curse, may you be born in interesting times. And uh, these are interesting times, but I don't necessarily buy into the fact that it's a curse. It's... uh, it's a it's a challenge and it's uh, um, an opportunity and it's easy to go in either direction depending upon what day it is or what news article you read or you know what section of the paper you listen to or what station on the radio dial you listen to is sometimes it's saying yeah yeah, maybe there's hope for humanity after all. And then there's, oh no, God, you know, there's no hope. What, what's the point of all of this? You know, what if I really put myself out or put myself on the line? You know, is it just going to be frustrating and discouraging? And um, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about this this choice from cynicism uh, to love and it's it seems like um, a daily koan both perhaps in our perspective with the world and the culture and often um, an intrapersonal koan too for some people, especially if you're going through a hard time, um, challenging period. You know, dare, dare I let myself hope? And the corollary to that is how to deal with our own skepticism and cynicism that we might have. You know, I, sometimes people think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm such an optimistic guy. I teach awakening joy and all of that good stuff. But I, I have a skeptical side to me. I, had a, a, I actually had a very uh, pessimistic and cynical side growing up. I've, I've shared this from time to time. Um, just, I didn't think things would work out. 
and uh, both in my life and who I who I was, you know. And I was I saw the glass half empty and that it wasn't going to work out. I, I think when I was putting these thoughts together, I was thinking, well, okay, what were the major shifts? How did I how did I change? And I know one particular experience that it that changed me dramatically, but it was right around the same time as um, the New York Mets. I grew up in New York in 1969, who were, you know. A thousand to one odds every year they have the the odds at the beginning of the season who's going to be able to come through to be the champions and the, the Mets were like you know one of the worst teams in baseball and they if you remember that amazing year where they just kind of caught fire and they had a couple of really good few really good pitchers young pitchers, and uh, just started believing. And this, this one relief pitcher, Tug McGraw, uh, came out with this soundbite, you gotta believe. And everybody in New York, it seemed like eight million people were just going around saying, you gotta believe, you gotta believe. And sure enough, uh, they went all the way to win the World Series. I think that was a big turning point. And for, for any sports fan, you know, if you're a sports fan, and I've been a, a sports fan for you know, my whole life, that um, the, main, the main thing to, to go by is you never know. You just don't know. You, it's not over until it's over. So that was a big shift. And also, around that time, I had this very strong epiphany in the power of self-fulfilling prophecy and it really it really came in a very um, powerful way that I was just creating this reality that things wouldn't work out and so I uh, just did this experiment after having this big opening of seeing what it's what it was like to just pretend that things would l work out, you know, that was my first. I I gave myself one week to just pretend that things would work out and that people, uh, especially that I didn't know, would uh, would enjoy being around me. Okay, <laughs> I I just you know I think I was boring and that yeah, I was very self conscious and so I just kind of I had nothing to lose. And I started this experiment, which is now uh, going on uh, 45 years or so. Uh, so I do have that, had, did major have that side, but I still have a part of me that can say, well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you don't know it until it's over, but gosh, things look a little grim now, you know. So, this is an ongoing practice that I have of just uh, not putting my head in the sand, but just not buying into the story that I might tell myself that things won't work out. Even though there's a part of me that knows that's quite possible. And when I say 
work, won't work out. We can kind of tease that out, that things are not unfolding as they should. Let's put it that way. Because to say that things will work out is having a very limited picture. Life keeps on unfolding. But for me, just having a sense of trust that it's going ultimately in the right direction of more consciousness and goodness, um, even though any slice of the picture might be a, a legitimate argument for whatever perspective you bring. But something that I find just on a very practical level to understand is that um, there's a price to pay for cynicism. Here's, uh, let's see, this is from Authentic Happiness from Martin Seligman, the father of positive psychology. Um, pessimists, he writes, this is the, the book that's the, that was the basis of positive psychology. Pessimists, oh, called Authentic Happiness, pessimists are up to eight times more like, likely to become depressed when bad events happen. They do worse at school, sports, and mo most jobs uh, that their, than their talents augur. They have worse physical health and shorter lives, rockier interpersonal relations, um, and, well, we'll just leave it at that one, okay? And here's a, <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need that one. And then, um, and then uh, another, another line, in, in working with children, um, teaching 10-year-old children the skills of optimistic thinking and action cuts their rate of depression in half when they go through puberty. Mm. So, it's less healthy on every level, both physical and mental. And an, another way that it works, and I can attest to this, and that self-fulfilling prophecy understanding is that your view primes your brain, as Dan Siegel puts it, uh, the, the neuroscientists, it pr it, neuroscientists, it primes your brain to confirm your theory so that if you have a particular view that things, you know, either are going, that life is going to be disappointing or that uh, people won't, won't come through for you or whatever your particular view, that your brain scans the horizon to confirm your perspective. And it misses things that are in, in an antithetical um, worldview. So you actually start to look out whether or not you're, it's conscious. You look for things that say, yep, see, I'm right. Which is it reminds me of um, what the Henry Ford line, there are those who think they can and those who think they can't, and they're both right. That where, whatever your, your mind starts to believe, that that's, it creates that 
condition. It also, being cynical, uh, weakens your, actually your, your field, your power. And it occurred to me, I'd like to do a very simple test um, or experiment, I should say, with uh, somebody who'd be willing to volunteer. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to. You won't look dumb or anything like that. Uh, but uh, I would need one person to to come up and want to do a, a little experiment with. Okay. If you might be familiar with muscle testing, anybody? Familiar? Okay. Here's. But it's still understandable to be cynical. It's not something you can just switch off at times. Even though you know better, even though I know better, the mind still can get snagged in saying, oh, wow, boy, I don't know. And get into despair and frustration and pessimism. What does it mean to be cynical? What, what goes on that makes somebody cynical? Fear? Mm -hmm. What is it? Despair? Anger? Disappointment? Yeah. Loss? Uh-huh. A protection, yeah. And this is kind of what I'm, I wanted to explore a little bit. Um, th th I came across this really wonderful article by Michael Lerner, Rabbi Michael Lerner from uh, Tikkun, um, who said that cynics are really frustrated idealists. That somebody who's cynical really has cared, has really had hope and inspiration, but the disappointment has been truly uh, impactful. And at some point, it's too much to keep that inspiration and idealism alive in the heart. And so, an understandable defense is to become cynical. As uh, Judy says, it's a protection from hurting. It just, it takes, it's too painful to feel that hurt. And so we say, you know, how could I have been so so silly, you know, what was I thinking? Oh my goodness. Let me just see this. And especially when we've gotten inspired by, and I, I, I'll just mention a couple of, of phrases that I'm sure will, you know, you, can, you might relate to, you know, the audacity of hope or change we can believe in or things like that. And, and I, you know, I, as I, I will say, I still have great um, hopes for
for the possibilities in our culture, in our society, and with our, some of our leaders, but to have a tremendous wave of inspiration and possibility and then feel the sadness and despair that things aren't going as consciously or as quickly as, as we'd like um, can lead to real cynicism. So uh, I have more to say, but I think what I'd like uh, you to do, us to do, before I go on and share my thoughts, is to ask you for a moment to um, reflect on how you deal with your own mm, cynical or despairing tendencies in your wisest, your wisest moments as practice. You might just go inside for a moment and you probably had some experiences where you just felt discouraged either about the culture or about your own life. How do you work with it in a skillful way? Or if you haven't quite embodied it, how could you see a wise way to work with that discouragement so you don't carry around that weak field and that you come, you show up your greatest potential? How do you keep from being overwhelmed by cynicism or discouragement or despair? Okay, and I, I think I'd like you to um, hear each other for a few minutes. So I invite you to get into a, oh, a group of three, or it can be a group of four, or it could be a group of two, depending upon who you're with. And just share with each other, maybe for the next uh, 10 minutes or so, exploring this topic and getting in touch with your own wisdom. Okay. Thank your partners and come on back. Well, I was glad it wasn't completely silent in here. <laughs> you, you didn't have anything to say. You had a lot to say. Um, and I much prefer the wisdom to come out of you than just whatever comes out on this side of the 
of the stage. Uh, so, you know, I have some thoughts, but I want to hear from you first. How do you, how do you work with cynicism and despair in your wiser moments? And here, you can just pass this back and put it right next to your lips. Hold it at, here, pass it, pass it back. Hold it at an angle so it's right like an okay. ice cream cone, like on an angle like this. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I apologize that it, um, what I'm going to say um, involves a, a lot of lot of the pronoun use of the pronoun I. Uh, so uh, um, disclaimer to begin with, but uh, I work in a um, very um, low poverty, mm. crime-ridden area. I teach in a school, mm. and um, I'm affected by what's going on on a daily basis mm -hmm. by. 40 kids for six or seven hours a day minimum. Mm -hmm. And then there's my personal life. I have a daughter who's a cancer survivor, has no health insurance because of no work. Mm -hmm. uh, both of my children are uh, well-educated, have skills, but because of the economy right now, neither have jobs. Mm -hmm. And um, on a daily basis, and I live very close by to uh, Occupy Oakland, which mm -hmm. I'm a sympathizer of, all the Occupy movements. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, on a daily basis, um, my thoughts are, I see so much um, pain and weakness around me, mm -hmm. and I think a tree doesn't give up, a um, mountain doesn't give up because the other trees are burnt down. And I see myself as part of that form of life that I have no choice other than to choose life on a daily basis. And even though I do feel the despair at a personal level because of the people who I'm connected to, I make a choice of being anything but desperate. And it helps me to keep myself together for the majority of the day because by the end I'm too tired to given to my own despair, mm -hmm. and um, although I do recognize it. So it's a daily um, renewal of vows to life mm. is, is the way I, I mm. cope with it. Thank and you. It, and it Thank works. you. Thank you very much. And I, I don't want to um, make this uh, seem like, oh, you should be optimistic all the time or that uh, just, you know, forget your troubles, come on, get happy, as the song goes, you know. There are times where you have to feel your despair, where you have to feel the sadness and, and really open up to it and be honest about it. It's just whether it becomes a chronic condition um, that, uh, that you don't see another choice. And it's really inspiring that you make that commitment on a daily basis. I'm sure the kids that you teach benefit from that choice too. I hope so. Yeah, thank you. Right next to you, Keith. So to follow up on your comment of, of, of um, uh, feeling the despair, uh, one of the things my wife and I have come up with for each other is when something goes on that sets one of us off, um, is that the other person basically turns and says, keep going, get it out of your system basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, what starts by a simple comment, you might make two or three, and then the person says, okay, keep going. And mm -hmm. by the time you get to about the sixth or seventh comment, it's starting to get really ridiculous. But you're, you're <laughs> but about, you know, in the end, keep going. And mm -hmm. so by about number 12, we're either both laughing or, you know, you, you recognize that, yes, you're 
feeling this, but you can let it go through you, um, and that the other person helps you get it out and recognize that, yes, there's truth to it, but you're probably exaggerating it mm -hmm. in that moment. So, yeah. That's uh, really great. Thanks. And that, that's a key, letting it move through you, not helping it along, come on, let's go, but not getting so bogged down in it, and it's just being open, and it moves through like everything else. Thank you. Over there, yes. Yeah, I think an idea that just came to me that kind of describes, I think, what, what the other people are saying is, is the, um, the idea of equanimity, um, which is that you can't just, um, you know, ignore that, that things, if things are bad, um, ignore the despair, but it's, it's recognizing it and observing it, but not letting yourself become so attached to it that it um, brings you down and just, you know, because and knowing that it, becoming attached to it will not help you, it won't help the world in any way, and just um, moving past it, observing it, knowing it's, recognizing it, that it's, the, it's there, and then, and then moving beyond it. You know? Okay, so, thank I, you. So, I, yeah. I'm sorry, you want to... Oh, I just thought, yeah, and that, um, I think, I mean, equanimity is a, just an important idea, I think, in a lot of meditation um, techniques. Uh, it's kind of, you know, bring that idea f from meditation to, um, like, real life. Real life is mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, equanimity is a key, is maybe the key, because it, that's what holds your compassion and your caring just seeing, okay, it's like this. Things are as they are. And equanimity also is a kind of recognition of a kind of karmic unfolding of things outside of our control. Like I said before, if you take any one picture, any one slice of the unfolding, and it looks a certain way, it's easy to think, oh, this is how things are. But there is a movement of consciousness and the development of consciousness that we've all been a part of. It's, it's just uh, sometimes you forget seeing the, the bigger picture in that. Like a, a couple of weeks ago when I read that article here about how the world is so much less violent than at any time in the history of humanity given that we're also on the brink of some, you know, of, of the cliff, so it's a little bit higher, it's a lot higher stakes, but the statistics show we're so much less violent. Or in our culture, I was kind of uh, reflecting on this, how we get acclimated to the change and think, okay, well, that's how things are supposed to be. But um, when I think about uh, women's rights or uh, sexual harassment now. You know, when you think about when, when I was growing up and, and JFK was the president and you know, all kinds of things were, were going on, you had no idea. And here's, here's this guy who's in the news. It's like, you know, oh, you know, it's really awful what he did. But 40 years ago, wouldn't even be a blip on the screen. Of, of what was what was happening, and uh, what was it? Oh, I just 
Okay, before we go on, I'm going to take a couple of more, a few more comments, but I wanted to share with you. Remember, I mentioned my, my favorite writer, Mark Morford. Well, this is Morford's column uh, yesterday. Um, it, it's his words about the news, the news article that CBS, Google, Levi's, Starbucks, New Balance, and Xerox are among 70 companies and cities that have signed a brief stating that the 96, uh, 1996 Federal Defense of Marriage Act hurts business. So they're all saying, we do not, you know, we do not support that. We want to see this over. So this is Morford. I'll read a little of it. He's so good. <laughs> Woe to you, O modern card-carrying homophobe, for it can't be easy to be you right now, what with all the terrifying changes taking place all the dramatic sexual upheavals and flagrant displays of unnatural love being hurled like exotic sushi in your plain hamburger <laughs> in your plain hamburger face these days. Oh, you poor dear. I see you there. No, I'll skip that. I see you there mumbly, mumbling angrily at how New York has had legal gay marriage for four whole months and so far, no hellfire, chaos, no petrified Christian children melting into goo in the streets. I see you horrified at how seven other states and 10 countries are thriving happily with gay marriage. God apparently not really giving the slightest damn about how anyone expresses their consensual, reverential, wholehearted love so long as they just do. And then it goes on and on. From there, I mean, it's, it's quite extraordinary. And then we get acclimated and say, oh, well, that's how things are. But when I was thinking about it, when I was in my mm, 20s, and a friend who I met traveling after a, a year or, or so, um, um, he's from another country, and he shared with me that he was gay. And I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to, it's, it, it's, it, I look back on that moment with real sadness and I've tried to get a hold of him because it, it was really, he stayed staying at my house and um, at the time and I never, I never saw him again. He saw my reaction and, you know, got freaked out in his own way. You know, how, how that's not even a thought these days. It doesn't even across most of our minds, you know, how change happens and we don't realize it. But as long as we're heading in the right direction, even though it might not be as fast as we would like, we can't miss the fact that things do change. And as you, you might know, you, I saw that, I got this from, who was it, Sierra Club today, we marched, we called, we emailed, and now we can celebrate. We've just learned that after months of public input from hundreds of thousands of people like you, the Obama administration has decided to reevaluate the environmental review of the dirty Keystone Tar Sands oil pipeline. This is great news, and we should all take a moment to applaud this decision, etc., etc. A tremendous victory, and you were part of it. Together we sent hundreds of thousands of emails, phone calls, tweets, and Facebook messages. Just this past weekend, over 12,000 people encircled the White House to send President Obama a clear message that American, Americans oppose tar sands. 
Our message was clear and the president listened. We thank him for that. Just whatever news article you pick up, yay! Oh, you know. So equanimity is the thing that holds that all, as you were saying. There's, there's a, a movement and a, a larger picture, and you have to keep that in perspective. Yeah, right, yeah, why don't you pass the mic? So I was thinking, I was talking about with my group that if I just want to leave the world a better place mm -hmm. and just do my best, mm -hmm. that I don't believe that I'm supposed to do any more than I can possibly do. And so I try to remember that I did my best at the time and if I didn't, then I try and learn from it, but then I try and let it go, because <laughs> it, I've found that it doesn't help me to harp on it. And so I try not to be attached. I'm so attached to praise and blame, and I also work in Oakland schools, you know, like this woman did, the same situation. Mm -hmm. And I was also in Haiti for a couple years before and after the earthquake. And there's so much good and so much bad, and if and you're just like this. So I just had to give everything I could and then let it go and know I can't believe that the divine would expect me to do any more than that. And of mm. course I forget, mm -hmm. but I try and go back to that, mm. be detached. Thank you very much. This is uh, from Thomas Merton, uh, the journey into, into hopelessness, which in, in, the, in, the, in the positive sense, that is letting go of hoping which has some fear underneath and letting go of being attached to the results. There's a, a line I love by Seneca who says, uh, you cease to be afraid when you cease to hope because hope is accompanied by fear. But along exactly what you're saying, Merton said, do not depend on the hope of results. You may have to face the fact that your work will apparently be worthless, will be apparently worthless and even achieve no result at all if not perhaps results opposite to what you expect. As you get used to this idea, you start more and more to concentrate not on the results but on the value, the rightness, the truth of the work itself. And so there's a fulfillment just in what you're doing rather than thinking, will this get the results I want? Just feeling the wholesomeness of your actions and knowing that your wholesomeness is also contagious for others too. And you might not see the ripples, but they're, they're there. Is it, uh, yeah, Ralph? I don't mean this as the downer. On the, on the conversation. But Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body and how it has a life of its own within us. Mm -hmm. The other word that comes up is effort. Mm -hmm. There's something about the effort that it takes to breathe and choose uh, and breathe and choose another perspective. Mm -hmm. But it seems that we each have in us a kind of an addictive falling into despair 
that we get some, you know, I don't know, that part of us gets something out of. Yeah. And that the, that, um, and it's, a, and, it, and it's a powerful and it's demanding that we believe it. And because it seems and it feels so real mm -hmm. that that effort is, is, is required not the effort, the ego effort to get, I can't be that way, i got to be this way, but mm -hmm. a, a certain effort to be here now. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That's why this takes practice. That's why this takes a lot of consciousness on those patterns that naturally we fall into, whether it's because we're trying to protect ourselves or it's just the familiar way we have of, of approaching all of this uh, we have to we have to end in a moment so I'm just gonna wrap it up now all of all of this um, challenge is really a call to practice this does not happen automatically where you just kind of see the bright side of things uh, unless you have done a lot of practice or you're just blessed with a very um, uh, unique temperament that our pain and our sorrow and our suffering can hopefully awaken a commitment to holding, to letting our hearts be touched in another way rather than contraction. Because this, the, the contraction keeps our goodness from shining through, keeps our love from shining through and the cynicism, although it, it's, it's safe and it's comfortable, there, it's really a huge price that we pay in that. And so this is a call to practice equanimity, as was said, patience, letting go, compassion for our own pain, for the pain of the world, understanding, understanding those who have a different perspective from ourselves, gratitude for all the goodness in our lives, seeing what's good in ourselves, in others, having faith and trust that if we do our part, that's all we can do, and that there is some movement in consciousness. It's really taking on a bodhisattva practice. Instead of saying, what is the point? A bodhisattva doesn't say, what's the point? You know? You know, God, there's so much suffering in here, what's the point? A bodhisattva says, oh, suffering? Great, I've got work to do, okay? Except it's hard to keep that up on a steady basis, but that's what our practice is, that we can't be afraid of suffering and sorrow, but it can open us up to a deeper love and caring. And this takes an ongoing recommitting, as, as you're saying, to um, letting the best of us shine through, not only for everybody else, but for our, our own well-being. So um, I hope you explore this when you start feeling discouraged or despair. This is, oh, this is my practice. Okay, great. 
let me see it clearly. Let me not be completely lost in it. Let me see I've gotten through all the other times that I've had despair and to hold an inspiring vision of the possibilities for myself and for life. <clears throat> then you awaken that in others as well. So we'll close with a short loving kindness. Just feeling the blessings in your life. This is a good way to hold the difficulties. Feeling the caring heart and celebrating that just for a moment. May I open up to the wisdom and the love that's inside of me. May I share it well. May I let go of my idea of how things are supposed to be and do my part to make it a better world. And then sending that to all beings, may all see through their fears awaken to their true nature. Open to all the love and wisdom inside. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thanks. Have a great week. See you next week. Stack up the chairs very carefully. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.